Welcome to the Educate to Advocate podcast. I'm April Tate, mom of two, founder of Drops of Hope Consulting, and a special education advocate. I am Dr. Penny Stack, occupational therapist and founder of Dyslexia Center of Tulsa, where we provide team-based therapy to bring children to grade-level reading. Hey, let's share with everyone why we are doing the podcast. I'm here to connect with listeners so that we don't feel alone in the process of helping our children. I am here to broaden awareness for providers that learning difficulties are not just about learning issues or needs. It is about a person's lived experience. Let's get into today's topic. Today, we have Cassie Peck, occupational therapist and founder of Greenhouse Pediatric Therapy. Yay! We love Cassie. (laughs) We've had her on before, and we are so excited to have her back. We really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. And we just thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about what what you do and what your therapy looks like. Okay. Um, We have an occupational therapy only pediatric clinic and we focus on sensory regulation and social emotional development. And what that means is we get the kiddos who are not functioning very well in their day-to-day life. Um, A lot of the kiddos we see have autism or a trauma history or just really, really dysregulated. And we touched on that topic um, earlier, but their bodies are not able to cope with demands of the sensory input that they are getting from their world. I'm curious. See, I'm already jumping in, right? Okay. doesn't take long, does it? Trauma is an interesting word. And when we have intake, we always ask if children have experienced psychological trauma or physical trauma. And often the parent checks off no, but then they'll describe events in a child's life that are clearly trauma. And so sometimes I wonder if trauma is perception, especially from the parent. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you perceive as trauma when the children come to you? Well, it's tricky because people will compare trauma and they'll be like, well, this kid went through this and that kid went through the same thing. And why is this one reacting like this? And what we have found, I saw a quote um, not too long ago that said, trauma isn't what happens to us. It's what happens in us Um, because everybody's body and brain responds to things differently. Um, You know, if I were to eat a banana, I would be fine. If my child were to eat a banana, he would have an allergic reaction. (laughs) It's the same input. The bodies are responding differently. And some people's bodies are wired to cope differently with really difficult things. And I think keeping that in perspective helps a lot. Um, And we ask very specific questions because a lot of times parents don't realize what is traumatic and what is not. And they will dismiss like medical trauma. We have a lot of kiddos with medical trauma. If you have a preemie, they had trauma um, after they were born, before they were born, during the birth, after the birth. Absolutely. And their nervous system didn't develop typically. We also see a lot of kiddos in foster care and who were adopted. And what we're finding is the children who were, even though they were adopted at birth, are responding very similarly as the children who were adopted older um, because in utero we're finding that that trauma whatever the mother was going through is showing up in the kids and And. so (laughs) I'm going to chime in here Uh, April and I've had this conversation behind the scenes many many times the other trauma is separation from their first mother Mm -hmm. and that heartbeat and that smell and so just that very um, initial separation a lot of people think, you know, there's this magical, happy family, but there was a lot of trauma that occurred before that for the first mother right. and as well as the And infant. if you have a mother who is giving up a child, that mother's going through something um, that is challenging. And all of those hormones and all of those sights and sounds. Absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes there's drugs involved or alcohol involved or an abusive partner. Um, and we're finding out a lot more about that. And then trauma could also extend to basically being retained. 
getting special services at school, being bullied, things Mm -hmm. that some parents may not perceive as trauma because we provide these services to help the child, but the child perceives it as trauma because they feel different being pulled out. And we have kiddos who present like trauma kiddos after they've received certain types of therapy. If they're, if their voice is not validated, if their emotions aren't validated, if they're, they say no, and that means nothing. Um, And so we work really hard to, listen to everything and every um, behavior is communication and we try to give the kids a voice. Sure. Well, thank you for that detour. I'll let you get back on track. (laughs) I love talking about drama. We can do that too. Um, So we follow a model called DIR floor time and it is just about my favorite thing ever to talk about. With the kids that we see, um, we see kiddos, we have a reputation for seeing kids with challenging behaviors. And when you look at kids with challenging behaviors, most of the time they're recommended to go to some sort of behavioral therapy. We see kiddos who have done the behavioral therapies and that's not worked out well, or they've tried this and they've tried this and they've tried this, or they've been to um, a specialist and the kid didn't do well in counseling. And then, so we evaluate them and find out, oh, actually they don't have the developmental skills to be able to do any symbolic thinking. So counseling is not going to be effective right now. What can we do? And we go back to try to find out where, what level are they at to, to work on? Where are they at and how can we support them there? Because when we do that, the child starts to develop more naturally. And so you're talking about more foundational. It is. Yes. Um, and we've touched on the topic of regulation before um, but the floor time model when we're looking at DIR floor time, it's broken up into different levels. Um, and we always talk about, you know, where do you start with a kid? And our answer is always number one, regulation, and number two, everything else, because nothing else is going to be effective if the child is not regulated. I, I can attest to that. <laughs> so my my oldest son, who I, I share a lot about, he uh, was having trouble speaking. He was little. He wasn't talking. He was withdrawing. And we um, actually reached out to you here locally, and you worked with him. And we had gone to you know some different speech clinics. We had some interactions with some other people. And we started seeing we, – we actually went to your clinic to get an evaluation, and within five minutes – the evaluator who was actually evaluating him for speech issues said, have you heard of sensory regulation? And I was like, no, not at all. And she was like, I have somebody I want you to meet. And I can attest that after two months of working with you, his entire world opened up. He was much more engaged and he started speaking. I I will never forget it. It was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and, um, we hadn't heard him really say a word at all, just maybe some jargon. And he was sitting in his room with a book and a picture book and just saying every single picture, just naming each picture. And I burst into, you know, Tears. A, a massive emotional <laughs> state and called you immediately. And it was, and I know because he figured out how to regulate himself, we started jumping on the trampoline and he had those tools and it really made a huge difference. And I wonder what would have happened to him? How different would he be today if we wouldn't have found that so early? And I mean, well, I just tell understanding. you, the behaviors become more challenging and then they find us eventually. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually what happens. Like, oh man, I wish I would have had you at two. Um, yeah. And we hear that a lot from parents and from speech therapists. Like the children will be in speech therapy for either a short amount of time or a prolonged period of time and not making 
progress. And we do know some really fabulous speech therapists who are like, you need to go see OT and work on these foundational levels. Um, and then we will start working on those foundational levels. The kids figure out where their body is. They, they start relating to people differently. Um, they just, you can see their whole demeanor change. Absolutely. It's like they know who they are and where they are. Um, and then the words start falling out. And it is so, so cool because we can predict developmentally when it's going to happen. So if we get a kiddo up to, you know, working on reciprocity and not, not turn-taking or conversation, but just nonverbal back and forth, whether it be playing a game or, you know, making peekaboo faces or whatever. Um, and then their coordination starts to look a little bit better. And shortly after that, the words start just popping out of their mouths. Um, and it is really, really fun because we can predict that. And then the parents, of course, think we're geniuses. Like, oh man, that really happened. <laughs> we also tell them, okay, so now that... <laughs> This developmental stage is also when they start going through the terrible twos. We're like, well, they're nine. I'm like, I'm very sorry. We have to get through mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Better now than <laughs> later, I suppose. Because uh, developmentally, all that stuff kind of happens at the same time. And you'll see kiddos start to have very strong opinions and want to do things on their own. And as therapists, we are celebrating. And the parents are like, oh, my gosh, you've broken my child. <laughs> Put it back together. What did you do? <laughs> but it's that's a phase that they're going through. And... We we celebrate that. So when we have a kiddo throw their first legitimate tantrum and, you know, not a meltdown, but a tantrum and the therapist is like, yes, the parents are quite distressed. Um, but we, you know, regulation first, we have to get their bodies calm and alert and ready to learn. They have to be organized and taking the input from their world in and responding to it in a you know fairly appropriate way. Are they aware of you know, their mom calling their name, um, or is their body too dysregulated to be able to respond to that? Are they climbing up the wall because they're needing so much input to their joints and muscles? Do they need to jump on a trampoline for a while? Um, do they need to hang upside down or swing? Do they need a quiet space because their world is so overwhelming? And when we can get that regulation happening, then everything else just starts to develop on its own. And we talk a lot about developing and you know developmental levels and in the um the first floor time certification course i took there was somebody said something that was so profound to me she said you can't teach development it just is going to happen um and you know as therapists we're like well we can teach them how to do anything you can teach isolated skills but you can't teach something a child is not developmentally ready for, which I think is a problem in the schools as they're trying to teach kindergartners how to read. Here's the thing. You are you are absolutely right. And so we read in a developmental sequence. Mm -hmm. And so when we see these children, especially as they get older, I, I feel like schools start at the cherry on on top of the, the cake, right? They start with, with phonological awareness, phonological memory and reading. And they're, let's do all of like, your sight words when you're four. <laughs> yes. And let's wave your magic wand and you'll read. I'm like, well, what about their memory and and what about visual perceptual skills and what about sensory integration? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it just gets put on the, put on the back burner. But you're right. And we see that when the children don't have that foundational skill, then the problems just stack upon what they're being taught. Um, yes, we see that quite a lot. But when we're looking at development, you know, if it can't be taught, I can teach a kid how to tie their shoes, but that skill in itself. If they're not developmentally at that level, 
they don't generalize um, that skill into other things. So it's just, a, I have this one isolated skill that I can do. However, when you get their bodies ready for that, then learning to tie your shoes is not that hard. Um, we do not necessarily work on handwriting at our clinic, uh, but very often the parents will report, oh my gosh, you see their handwriting now. It looks amazing because their bodies are ready to do that. Uh, and that is what we're looking for. We are looking for, let's get their bodies ready to be able to do all of the things that should be developing next. Well, and handwriting is so special because it requires so many So muscles. many things. And so, cognition. Yes. yes. And same thing for like feeding therapy. We have people wanting to do feeding therapy, but if their bodies are not ready for that, feeding therapy is traumatic for the child and we don't want to do that. So we will spend, you know, even if they're coming to us for feeding, we'll spend several months getting them ready to even attempt to develop those skills. Interesting. I'm just like, I'm just at a loss for words at the moment because I think what you're saying is really powerful and it is really hard for, I don't want to say it's hard for parents. I think they understand it, but I think the external pressure of where the child needs to be at a certain time in their life to be successful in school is so overwhelming for parents Yes. That they feel torn between, I need to address the foundational components or I need to do this. Like I had a parent recently, and I cannot remember how recently, but I, but it, it stood out to me. We talked about all the foundational skills the child was, you know, really struggling with. Sensory integration was certainly one of them. And that is not my area of expertise. And I typically refer out to a pediatric clinic such as yours for that very issue. And the mom said, well, I want to wait on all of those things until we're out of school for the summer because right now school's really overwhelming and we need to get school done first. Mm -hmm. And my reply was, if we tackle this first, it'll make school easier. And mom just, my heart went out to her because she really struggled in the conference. Mm -hmm. She understood what I was saying, but I think she just felt that pressure of he has standardized testing coming up. He's tired when he gets out of school. He can't do one more thing. And where is that balance of really meeting their needs, meeting them where they are, right? And taking care of that foundational skill and still meeting school. And uh, I've had parents, you know, I've, I've suggested taking them out of their core classes, leave them in art, leave them in music, leave them in PE, mm -hmm. right? Well, they're falling behind. They're not learning anything anyway. Yes. They're going to need extra support for those academic skills. Let them develop first. Usually those parents want an after-school appointment time, which those are so hard, hard to come by <laughs> yeah, um, because everybody wants that so that they don't miss school and the child is struggling in school. And our kids, some of our kiddos are really struggling, like throwing chairs sure. and, you know, running away um, because they're in fight or flight. And you know, we will work with them in whatever capacity the families can do. And we understand that it's super, super hard. But usually what we see is after a couple of months, the parents see a difference and they're like, oh, yeah. now Light I bulb. see. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, if the teacher has any buy-in or if the teacher's seen a difference, like, please, please take him out of math. It's <laughs> fine. Um, he'll come, you know, he'll go to OT and come back and then look at all the stuff he can learn. Um, so it's it's tricky. We do a lot of parent education to help them understand the model, like the floor time model, most of the time they come to us and parents are looking for um, help with challenging behaviors, um, daily tasks such as going to restaurants or sleep or eating or something like that, and um, school challenges. So 
those are the, the referrals that we're getting. And we're like, great, I understand you. We're not going to work on any of that right now. We're not going to create a behavior plan. We're not going to sit them down and have them do buttons. Um, none of that stuff. This is where we start because level one regulation and then everything right. else. And so the DIR floor time model, you have regulation as a foundational skill. And the next one would be engagement. Can they be with another person? Is whatever they're doing more fun because another person is there? And then the next level would be um, some two-way communication. And that is a nonverbal thing. That is, you know, just a couple of back and forth. Do they respond to you consistently? Um, Are they seeking you out consistently? Is there some sort of are they doing anything to help the interaction continue or are you doing a lot of work for it? And then we get into lots of reciprocity and that's when um, level four, that's my favorite level because so much happens developmentally, their coordination improves. They seem to find themselves. They, they walk differently. They hold themselves differently. Um, they start to have some really early pre-symbolic play that, you know, here are the dishes and I'm going to hand you the pretend donut and I'm going to drink out of the pretend cup um, or I'm going to get mommy's purse and her shoes and say bye-bye and go to the door. And we, we love this level. And this is where kids start to have really strong opinions and they start to go through those awesome, terrible twos (laughs) um, as they go into a level five, which is symbolic and emotional thinking. And that is when kiddos start to say, I'm really mad instead of biting their brother. Um, That is when they start to understand that there can be something in the world that is not real. Um, And it is a huge, huge level. It's really, really hard on their brains and they are exhausted. We do, you know, with floor time, we do everything through play. So if we're working on any goals for coordination, it's we're playing. If we're working on goals for hanging out with kids, it's through play. Um, And it's interesting to see how hard it is for them, even though it looks like we're just playing, like we'll be playing a board game and the parents like, oh my gosh, I'm, I brought him here. I'm paying for this. And you're playing a board game. Like just hang in there in three months, you're going to have a different kid. (laughs) And here's what's interesting about that is playing for a child is their primary occupation. That's what they should be doing. That is what they should be doing. That is how they learn and develop. And I think about when we were kids, I don't remember seeing my parents all day. I remember no, going when it home. got dark, you went home. Yep. Right. <laughs> right. Or if you got hungry. Right. Or you got hungry. You went to the neighbors. Right? Yes. And, like the neighbors and, yeah. you. And because of how our society is now with technology and safety issues, children just don't play. So parents don't really understand that now they need structured play because they're not having enough exposure at home. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what we're seeing is their play skills, their social emotional development and their play skills are directly linked to whatever is happening. If you have a kiddo who is struggling with challenging behaviors at school, I can almost guarantee you that his play skills are not very good um, because you develop all of those skills that problem solving and taking turns and understanding other people's perspectives in play. And if play is hard for our kids, they don't understand that part of the world. And you know, they go into fight or flight. And a lot of times as they get bigger, it can get scary, but they're still just dysregulated. It's not, they're not intentionally trying to be evil in the world. And identifying the nuances between the two are huge. And teaching parents that, oh, he's not being bad. He's scared. 
Right. And that his primary emotion is fear because he does not understand what is happening in his world and new demands were put upon him. How can we help him not feel scared? So we go back to the regulation. Sure. Let's get regulated and then we can work our way up. And it's really cool when the kids, you know, reach those new levels and the parents are like, oh my gosh, look at what happened. <laughs> um, and it's pretty magical. I think it's wonderful that you educate the parents. I think I've said this mm-hmm. to you before yes. because, you know, the typical parent who has no idea about play therapy or regulation or, you know, re- reciprocity, any of these ideas, they're just looking at their kid thinking, what's going on here? And they don't know. And so, you know, I feel like it's difficult for a parent to understand the need for structured play because they're looking at this whole situation through a different lens. Just make him behave. Or there's fear. Uh Why is, why is this different? This isn't what I did whenever I was little. This isn't normal air quotes. Um, Parents come to us worried that their child is a sociopath. Like, you know, because of all of this stuff happening, you know, you have a three-year-old who is doing these things that, oh no, it's, it's scary it's okay for yeah, yeah. and sure. so a lot of times they're they're in crisis when they come to us absolutely and our main goal is to provide them hope that it's going to get better and i love that you make it intentional what's meaningful to the child and you address what is specific to them i also like that you identify the difference between behavior in terms of you know naughtiness like a choice right you know right from wrong you choose wrong versus this is just a characteristic of what's going on with them, their dysregulation, which should be handled It's a communication different. of what's yes. happening. Right. Because they may not have words for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or they might just be in that, in that level where they're experiencing their terrible yes. twos at 10. <laughs> <laughs> and what we'll find, you know, this is something that we find too, is kiddos, when they are dysregulated, a lot of times the first thing to go is language. And so even if you have yeah. a very articulate child, if they become scared or overwhelmed, the language goes away. Like, Do you know why that is? Tell me, tell me. Yes. So there's actually research out there that talks about how trauma stops and interferes with Broca's motor, which is a part of the brain that is required for language and being able to express how you feel or express an answer to a question, things like that. And so when Broca's motor is interrupted, it looks like you have a plethora of learning disabilities, right? Mm -hmm. But when you have trauma resolution, or in this case, you're regulated, then all of a sudden it's all resolved. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So- that is why. Excellent. I'll have to add that to my list of things to there tell people. You. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much, Cassie, for your time You're today. Welcome. We hope that we leave you today feeling empowered to advocate. Thank you for making us a small part of your day. We would love to hear from you and what's on your mind. Email us questions and comments at educate to advocate at gmail.com. Listen for your topic to be on a future podcast. Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe and listen to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Alexa, and most podcast platforms.